today I'm with Jonathan Shapiro, who is the CEO of MediaWiz. Um, Jonathan, thanks for joining us. Howdy, Adrian. Pleasure to be here. So um, before we start talking about MediaWiz, maybe can you just tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Uh, grew up in uh, Miami, Florida. I'm a diehard Dolphins fan, despite the fact that I've been living in New York for now the last 22 years, but for a short stint out in California at business school uh, at Stanford. Uh, it was at business school that uh, I figured out that media and technology were colliding, and it would be fun to be in the middle of it, to be honest. Uh, at the time, I thought that collision was going to take place uh, in the high-definition cable world or interactive cable, um, but saw it coming, uh, left once I got out of business school, uh, left California, came back to New York, and rejoined McKinsey and Company, and there uh, got to spend a fair bit of time in our media practice out of the New York office and figured out that, in fact, uh, where media and technology were going to come together would be in the Internet space. And where really, in uh, New York do you live? So I live on the Upper West Side. Uh, I've, I've lived on the East Side. I've lived on Central Park South. And now I'm an Upper West Sider, and I've got to say, of all the neighborhoods in Manhattan, when you've got Fairway and Citarella and Zabars, uh, the Upper West Side's got the best places uh, to feed yourself. So it's a good place to be. Would you, for would me you and ever my would you ever leave Manhattan, or is that are you uh, a New Yorker for life now? No, I think I'm a committed New Yorker. It's the kind of place where you either love it or hate it, and after 22 years, I love it. And you, so you live with your family in the Upper West Side? Yep, uh, with my wife and three sons. Is that, and so that's, I mean, you live in an apartment with your family, that's, you don't have like the big backyard and the, the, <laughs> no. the dog running around and all that stuff? Uh, no big backyard. Had a big backyard in Miami, uh, and there's a lot to be said for it, especially with three boys, because uh, I had two brothers, so I know this well. But, uh, you know, Manhattan's got a lot to offer, so it's a trade-off, but it's a trade-off we happily make. Yeah, right. Cool. Have you been so to the Upper West Side, Adrian? Um, I don't really know. I, I think so. <laughs> well, when you um, come I'm, when you come to New York, you'll have to come visit. It's a great place. Yeah, I, I might be up for that. <laughs> so, um, you came to MediaWiz in something like 2007. Is that right? That is correct. April of 2007, I joined MediaWiz. And and so MediaWiz was originally found by Jason Cohen. It was. Uh, Jason and, founded MediaWiz in 2001. And so, what does what does did you replace him, or what the, what does how does he, how do, I mean I know Jason. How do, how do you two work together? How does all that, how did all that work? Well, so MediaWiz was founded by Jason in 2001, and was uh, invested in 2005 in by Lake Capital, a private equity firm out of Chicago, with deep roots in services, especially marketing services organization. The Lake Capital. Capital guys invested in MediaWiz in 2005 and put together GRS, Monetize It, and TextLink ads to form the current MediaWiz Holdings, Inc. And the idea was they wanted to create a, an organization with a broad suite of online marketing services so that they could do a better job at online performance marketing. And at that time, there were essentially, along with Jason, 
three other founding groups. It wasn't even just three other founders. And so they thought it would be a good idea to bring in a guy like me uh, that had some experience in the Internet space uh, as I've been a digital publisher, uh, merchant, and advertising services exec with DoubleClick for five years. Uh, and so they thought it would be good to bring a guy in like me and help bring the organizations together and take take us forward. Was that something that everybody was happy about? You know, um, I think you'd have to ask those guys. I think that uh, it's it's an interesting thing. Entrepreneurs uh, are often brilliant at taking organizations from zero to twenty million bucks, and then when they're put together with other entrepreneurs, it gets a little tougher to move the organization in a cohesive manner forward. And I think they'd, they'd all say the same thing. Uh, the challenge is that you've got, especially with four organizations put together, four very capable, very talented, very strong-minded, again, founding groups, not just founders. And sometimes uh, the direction or the choices about what direction you take can, uh, can be disagreed upon and it's hard to it's hard without somebody in charge to make those decisions and and wrestle the best ideas from the crowd and move the organization forward. And I guess like it's it's interesting that the model that you guys I mean the, the, with this investment that came in was that are you able to talk about the investment that Lake Capital made how big it was and some of the terms of it? Um, so we're a private company, so we really don't talk about uh, the specific numbers. Okay. So, I mean, they, they made the investment, and I guess that gave them a lot more influence. Was that something that was done to grow, or was it done to, to stabilize the business? Like, can you talk about that side of it, or is that... Sure. Well, well, no, the business was doing fine, and the idea was to really invest in MediaWiz proper and then build it as a platform. And, and I think we've done a decent job of that. Uh, the original thesis that uh, Kevin Rowe and Tony Brolio from Lake Capital had, I think, is coming to bear. And it's pretty straightforward. The notion is simple. Internet advertising is where the audience is, so it's where the marketing dollars are going to flow. If you look at the internet marketing pie, the most rapidly growing sections of it are what are the performance marketing aspects. So into performance, we include search, uh, affiliate marketing, um, data acquisition, our name for CoReg, and really any form of media that can be bought on a per-action basis, action defined liberally. And the reason for this is the Internet's promise is to be a more targetable, more measurable medium. As CMOs are struggling, especially in these economic times, for funding for their marketing programs, the idea that you can actually provide the other C-level executives a demonstrable return on your marketing investment is very attractive. And, it, and the advantage that online performance marketing has is that you can provide not only a, an historic ROI, but it's fairly predictable so that you know that if you're targeting a similar audience the responsiveness of that audience should be about the same so that your marketing efforts should yield a similar ROI to what's happened in the past. And that's very right. potent. 
I guess uh, the, what I'm interested to understand from the from the acquisitions and the investment side, it's it's just it's interesting because it's not not I'm, it's not something I've noticed in this space very much, and um, I, I'd be I'd be interested. Do you think um, is, is this going to for for a guy like Jason who founded the company, will he make more money because of the 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 mergers and the investments and all that sort of stuff overall than if he did if he'd kept independent and built up a network like most of the guys tend to do? Well, that's certainly the goal. The idea is to create create value by putting together a suite of services that can provide value to customers. So if you build a business that's creating more value, then you should be able to extract more value. So Yeah, right. I mean it's 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 basically one plus one equals three is the idea. That's my goal. It's a, it's a very New York approach to what isn't normally done in this space. Would you agree with that? No, I wouldn't. I think I think consolidation in the internet space has happened, you know, in a couple of waves, but it but it definitely continues to happen. And and I've got a theory, and I think the late guys share it that this is going to continue to happen, and it's going to continue to happen for a pretty simple reason: the skills that we bring to bear the performance marketing skills are not traditionally housed in existing agencies. And yet the marketing community is going to increasingly want them. So we're going to provide them as we do today and we provide them successfully and the agencies are going to want them. So they're going to have the choice to either build or buy. And whenever you have that choice, some people get bought and consolidated and some people build. But there will definitely be more consolidation down the road along these lines. And it will be so the big holding companies can add these critical capabilities. So I'm interested, one of the things that you guys are doing then, you're, you're in New York, which is um, obviously a, a expensive in terms of salaries and um, real estate and all that sort of stuff, um, whereas most networks uh, or a lot of them are in fairly cheap locations in Florida and, and in other places where salaries are, are fairly inexpensive and, and same with rent. Um, how do you guys compete then, given that you, I would imagine you have a higher cost structure with your team being where you're based? Uh, so it's certainly more expensive to do business in New York. The good news for us is we also have an office in Plantation, Florida, right outside Fort Lauderdale, and our team is roughly split half and half right now, and we are in the process of building out additional space in our Florida location. So we will have room to grow there. But you also got to look at the flip side. Where is the marketing community? And the marketing community has a huge presence in New York, so it's good to be next to those folks. That's a model I'm extremely interested in, and it would seem to me then that you guys could in fact gain a ton of leverage by having a core team that uh, sources and manages deals based in Manhattan and then get a lot of the d delivery and execution done by guys in Florida. Uh, so that's in part our model. Our search ex execution team is in Florida. Our email execution team is in Florida. Our tech team is largely in Florida. And in New York, we essentially have uh, our sales and marketing capability and some corporate functions like HR and finance. One of the most extreme examples I found of that from one of the interviews I did was with um, PV Cannon from 24-7 Customer. Have you ever heard of him? 
Uh, I am not. They do. When I interviewed them, I, I think he had something like 6,000 seats worldwide. Of um, He does a lot of call, a big call center business, um, funded by Mike Moritz from Sequoia. Um, yep. And so they have a they have a core office of something like twenty people in Silicon Valley, and then then you know six thousand seats scattered all over the world. Um, so it sounds like you're adopting a somewhat similar model, but not quite not quite. We, the same we won't be quite as virtualized, but uh, uh, you know, to the extent that we can we can put resource in efficient places and still serve the customers well, we'll do it. We do, and part of that is we have a small outsourcing. Strategy where we do outsource some of our technology uh, currently overseas to India. So we've we've taken that step as well. Mm, right. So um, I looked at your bio. And one of the things that struck me in your bio is that you've done um, a, uh, you've got a fair amount of experience with mergers and acquisitions. Yep. So and, uh, go ahead. Oh, I was just interested in your comments on that, and and if that's is that a, a big part of um, ongoing strategy for MediaWiz. So we've done a fair number of acquisitions, as I described. The core media whiz is the combination of four companies, and we've done some tuck-ins since, since that formation, which was completed in late 2006. Right now, uh, our focus is really on execution. So we've got the companies put together. We are uh, finishing up our integration of our back office and our technology platform. And now it's really about sales execution. Again, our, our thesis is simple. Marketing organizations want to do more performance marketing because the return on that investment is demonstrable and predictable. We stand ready to help them build the program that will get them the ROI they want. Right. So for guys reading this, that their company's doing well, that they want to take a break, they maybe want an exit. Um, should they come and knock on your door, or is now the time when you're not doing any acquisitions? Uh, I would say we're really not in the market right now, and it would have to be uh, a capability that we think is critical that we don't have a presence in, which I would tell you would be hard to muster right now, uh, and or it would have to be a market presence in one of the verticals we serve that was going to give us a leg up. Uh, so in the uh, education vertical, in the research vertical, in the online dating vertical, one of those in the online finance vertical, if there was a, a, an existing content property, I mean, that might be interesting to look at. Other than those, right now I think we're in pretty good shape. Okay. And so, um, so you're, you're, you have your five markets: lead gen, um, email, affiliate marketing, display advertising, and search. So, where where do you spend most of your time? Like, what's the, space, the part of the space you care about the most? So, our our idea media with is uh, we're agnostic to the specific media. We are in our our revenues, and again, we're a private company, so I'm not going to share the specifics. But our revenues split out across channel. Pretty evenly. It's my job as the interviewer to keep asking you. That's <laughs> you okay. I, I, I get it. Right. It's, just, it's my job as the CEO to not answer the specific question. <laughs> but generally, our, our, our revenues are almost equally apportioned across the search and the email and, and the affiliate uh, world. And a smaller part of the business is our, our display business, but it's a growing part of the business. Uh, and again, we are media agnostic. What we want to do 
if you are Grand Canyon University and you're trying to find forward-leaning, in-market potential students, we want to find those people for you in whatever online media may be effective. And by effective, I mean very simply, can we find them, have them raise their hand, and by some action, whether it's a search click, whether it's filling out a form and requesting information, whether it's opting in to a data acquisition path, some action that the user takes indicates that they're forward-leaning and interested in Grand Canyon's online education offering. If we can get the consumer to do that, and we can do it at a rate that allows Grand Canyon to convert them into an enrollment with an acceptable ROI, we've done our job, and we really are less interested in which media we were able to do that in than the fact that we are able to do that. How do you avoid getting arbitraged out or getting your margins uh, squeezed so that you're, it's no longer profitable? Um, so in certain um, media, it's easier than others. Uh, we are a fairly large email marketer, and so we have relationships with hundreds of publishers where we represent them. And so we have essentially control of that media, and we're able to marry up hundreds of different offers from our affiliate network with the, you know, millions of email names that could potentially receive these and do the targeting. So it's by adding that targeting, we're able to avoid getting commoditized in the email space. In the search space, we have the largest marketplace, TechLink ads, for uh, link building, uh, static link building, which have what we call the dual benefit. They're not only display ads, but they help with your SEO rankings. So since we're the largest marketplace really uh, around for that SEO type of advertising, uh, we're able to command uh, premiums there. Uh, so that's a fairly well-protected marketplace. And in the rest of the businesses, we just have to do a really good job. So it's our infrastructure that allows us to capture, qualify, and convert what we call customer information, commonly called lead data. It's the infrastructure that allows us to help our advertisers convert that better, that allows us to create more value and capture more value. Mm -hmm. What do you think about what's happening in, um, in the, the legal environment? I mean, uh, Obama's starting to crack down on uh, it was providing more resources, like, for example, the FTC. There was an article in the Wall Street Journal um, a month or two ago talking about that the expanded powers that the FTC is likely to get. Um, the, it, 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 you're, you're in one of the most, with a more aggressive attorney general in the state that you're in, in New York. Um, where do you see the direction of the, of the space taking over the next six to 12 months? Uh, so the regulatory environment is an interesting thing. And for us, I think it could be very beneficial. Here's why. You know, the lead generation space has its, has its roots in what I will kindly refer to as some very, very aggressive direct marketing tactics. And in that I think you're world, being a little generous. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I'm trying to be as kind as possible. But in that world, the, the best advertisers, you know, the, 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 again, the Grand Canyon University, so the University of Phoenix, or the Nielsen's of the world, or the American Laser Center, 
or even little companies, but, you know, good companies like Dr. Diabetics are providing diabetic supplies. These kinds of advertisers can get pushed out of the marketplace by some of the more nefarious advertisers. And that's a big problem uh, because that hurts, that hurts the media providers, that hurts agencies like MediaWiz, and that ultimately hurts the legitimate advertisers because they're having a tough time competing for the time and attention of what could be potential customers. So to the extent that the regulatory environment sets, sets the rules, and everyone understands the rules and can play by the rules, I think that's a very good thing for the industry. In the meantime, though, there's you know, potentially a lot, of, a lot of companies are going to have their <laughs> have a bit of a smackdown from the FTC. Do you not think so? Well, some will. I think it, you know, if I look at our portfolio of advertisers, I'm pretty comfortable that um, we're, we're working with the right, right folks, and, and uh, so our revenues will be protected. And if someone's out there being more aggressive, and we can, between the two of us, certainly conjure some folks that might be. I'll decline to name them now. Um, but you know, if they're if they're having to play by the rules that we already play by, that'll be good for us. Yeah. Well, I mean, some players may go away too. And that wouldn't be terrible either, especially if they're really not providing value to the consumer or the right kind of advertiser, having them out of the marketplace competing for attention that could be, could be appropriately paid for and directed at a legitimate advertiser is a good thing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one of the, I read uh, a blog, the, uh, the Shoe Money blog. Are you, you familiar with that blog? We know Mr. Shoe Money. Yeah. Shoe Money on so, the cut. He, he always talks about the acquisition. He, I guess he sold a company to you guys, uh, Auction Ads. He did. Can you, can you talk about that? You know, like how big it was, like what, what happened, what are you doing with it now, that kind of stuff? Um, so it was a small piece of technology that allowed us to place search terms targeted affiliate links, mostly for eBay and ebayshopping.com. Uh, on our network of publishers. And unfortunately, what happened with that product is that uh, despite the affiliate links being keyword targeted, they essentially had trouble keeping up with the, the ECPMs that Google could provide our advertisers. So in the open and free marketplace uh, for for ad dollars, our publishers were getting a better return with Google links. And so uh, while we had some early success with the product, eBay started to rationalize the pricing and the quality of the links wasn't as high as in fact what a search term direct to a search Google search could provide. So we got, we got pushed out. The product right now uh, is essentially on hiatus and we've got, got it linked to some other technology uh, that we think uh, could bring it back, but frankly, it's a lower priority for us right now, so it's, it's on the shelf. Right, so it was an acquisition, I mean, because it was an interesting story. He built it and then turned around and sold it after a couple of months, so it's one that I guess didn't work out as well for you guys, but it's, it's the dream of a lot of entrepreneurs to be able to do something like that, build it and, and sell it fairly quickly. 
Yeah, and so it worked out okay for us. We made a little money on the deal, but we certainly had high hopes and thought we were going to make huge returns, and we didn't make huge returns. Right. Well, sorry to hear that. Yeah, me too. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, it happens, right? Ain't none of us perfect. I was, I was having this debate over Thanksgiving dinner with my father. You can make good decisions that have bad outcomes, and you can make bad decisions that have good outcomes the nature of the world. Yeah, well, you got to be in it to win it, right? Yep. Um, so I was looking at your, your list of clients, and I noticed one of the clients you have is actually Wall Street Journal. Um, Wall Street Journal has been a recipient of uh, some of our text link ads in the past, um, so we have shipped some money their way. So what, what kind of stuff are you doing with them? Well, it's actually, at this point, pretty minimal. Um, our TechLink ad network has got about 40,000 publishers in it. The way the market works is uh, advertisers can uh, come to the marketplace, request links on uh, a variety of sites, and our sales team helps them figure out which sites are going to be contextually right for them and then place those links. The publisher then receives a revenue share uh, for all the revenue created, and that was the program that the Wall Street Journal was participating in. So who would be a, a typical client? I mean, you know, I guess you have all, your, all of your different areas, but who would be a typical client for you now? So a typical client today would be American Laser Center, and these guys provide uh, laser cosmetic treatment. So things like laser hair removal. Um, if you're a guy and you have too much hair on your back, they'll be happy to laser it off, and it won't come back uh, if you get the right treatment. So we work with them, and what we've been able to do for them is over the last year and a half, build out a media portfolio that includes search, uh, it includes affiliate work, it includes some um, co-registration efforts, but build out that portfolio and optimize it over time so that we have been able to maintain the metric that they use is a return on sales, so or uh, I should say a return on marketing invested, and the return is measured by sales. So they're shooting for an X multiple over their marketing spend. If they spend a dollar, they want to get two to three dollars back revenue. And what we've been able to do is while maintaining the return on marketing spend metric, we've been able to increase the amount of marketing investment they make effectively by over five times. So they've had a 500% increase in sales directly related to our marketing efforts while maintaining their profitability. And they're uh, at this point, I think, pretty happy with that. I can imagine. Yeah. Um, one of the, the things that, that, that constantly like um, comes up in this space is, is some of the ethics and some of the, the, the problems that come up. And I'm interested to know, from your opinion, what would you change in the, in the overall space to make it better? So this touches on what we were speaking to earlier with respect to the regulatory environment. The challenge in the, in the what, what was 
commonly referred to as the lead gen space, is that you can have some very, very aggressive marketing tactics. And uh, unfortunately, there are folks that can make quick money. I, I don't think it's sustainable, but they can make quick money being very aggressive marketers and not serving the consumer uh, or really the, the media publishers well. And so if I had one wish for the industry, it would be that um, we, we all played by the same ethical rules, if you will, the ethical rule book, and, and followed. if we followed those rules, then the offer would stand on its own merits, and it wouldn't stand on whether or not you were, you were too aggressive in presenting that offer. If that were the case, then I think you'd have a level playing field and you'd have a much more sustainable business because all of the brand marketers who are going to, or the big, I should say, big marketers, because we serve direct marketers who want to move online very effectively. It's those folks, the big guys, you know, the, the Geico's of the world, the Comcast's of the world, um, that are in the online space. If everyone's playing by same rule book, their offers, which are pretty potent, will get their fair share of attention. Whereas today, I'm not sure, I'm not sure they're they're getting all the media that they should because there are too many opportunities for some of our publishing partners or some of our advertising uh, folks out there to make a quick buck rather than a strong and steady buck. The problem is, like, people define ethics differently. So, I mean, how do you how do you do that? And then, who defines that? Should, is it the FTC? Is it Obama? Like, should it be an industry industry coalition? Well, you know, it would be great if we could get the industry to do it, um, because I think the regulators are unfortunately well intended, but not as often as well informed as the industry participants. But I, I fear that if the industry can't get together and form these standards, they will be formed for us by the regulators. And that, that may be a, a bit too restrictive. It may be okay, um, uh, but it may be a bit too restrictive. So in the perfect world, the industry players uh, would get together and form uh, the, or set down the, the right kind of standards. But, you know, it's like the economic class we all took, the world without taxes, uh, they don't exist. So I'm, I, I would, if I was a betting man, I would say that uh, we are likely to see some combination of industry self-regulation and regulatory interventions to try and get everyone on this same playbook that I'm talking about. Right. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've wondered whether it's, it's, it really does need to be the FTC needs to come in and just clean stuff up, and it seems like maybe that's going to happen. Uh, well, they'll, they'll cer certainly take a stab at it. You know, I hope they are well-informed. Again, it's, this is an interesting marketplace because it's so rapidly evolving, right? right. I mean, we didn't, no one talked about social media uh, even a year and a half ago with respect to lead generation, right? It just wasn't a big part of the scene. Now it's a huge part of the scene. And how do you how do you manage that and how do you regulate it it's still growing up. It's in its infancy. Uh, so that's that's the challenge, but I agree with you, despite that challenge, the regulators will step forward if they need to.
Yeah. And then have you seen the, the posts on TechCrunch? I mean, Michael Arrington's been getting stuck into, into the, a lot of the social media stuff. Um, I've, I've read a little of the, the interplay there. Uh, and, you know, this gets back to, this gets back to the question of, of whether – I think it boils down to the consumer being fully informed, right? If, if the consumer is fully informed and they're making an informed choice, then God bless, make your choice. But it really comes down to are they fully informed? Do they understand that, you know, whether it's their cell phone is going to be billed every month, uh, and what kind of content they're going to get billed for, or whether it's someone signing up, uh, you know, online for Netflix, and the realization that you're going to be uh, you're going to be charged every month, whether you whether you sign up for the movies or not. My, by the way, that's personal experience. We were all excited in my household because we signed up for Netflix, and we seem to have forgotten to add add movies to our queue. So we're without movies right now. But that's that's a choice I made informed, and so I own that. But that's really what it boils down to. It's making sure that the consumer is fully informed so that the choices that they make uh, are well-reasoned. They may not be the choices you I would make, but they're well thought through because they have the information to think through. I've wondered whether there needs to be something like there's uh, disclosures on, on food, whether there needs to be some standardized disclosure for Internet marketing as well. You know, that's, an, that's a really interesting idea. I'm not sure the existing food labels are, are the perfect incarnation. I think someone recently uh, proposed a similar kind of thing for financial disclosures, mortgage disclosures, and... You know, clarity of information is an important thing, and presenting it in a way that the user can understand it is part of giving them the information. So to the extent that we can find a clever way to do that, that would be great. I, I can tell you when we were at, when I was at DoubleClick uh, in early 2000, and we were, we were in the thick of the privacy debate, uh, we felt like we really couldn't win for trying. You know, if you, your privacy policy was complete, it was too long, and if it was, if it was the summary version, it didn't disclose everything. Uh, and so it's a, tough, it's a tough balance there, having lived through it. Um, so if there was some standard, actually, if there was some standard like the FDA label, uh, and they were, they were sufficient to inform the user, that might be a really good thing. Do you have one? Can you forward a, a, a recommendation? Um, no, I mean, it's, you know, it's just one of the ideas that, I don't know, I thought about a while ago. Yeah, I, think no, I, don't have anything, I don't have anything else intelligent to add. I mean, yeah, we, we both know that a lot of stuff gets hidden in privacy policies and terms and conditions, and, you know, if there's something like calories that were for, for offers, then it might make things a bit clearer. Yeah, and, you know, the, the unfortunate thing is the best privacy policy I think I ever read was for an online photo service and it said very simply, we are going to collect your personal information so that we can send you your photos and we will be sharing this information with our marketing partners so that we can bring you offers in the future and marketing messages from, and I actually forget the name of the, the Photoshop. And, you know, there was more to it than that and it, it, it went on. But that's a pretty clear disclosure, right? Yeah, expect to hear from us. Um, 
my experience is that if you're straightforward with users um, and they make informed choices, you're better off. Okay. Um, are there any things that we haven't talked about you would like to? Sure. Well, I, you know, I I left Lily and Vernon in 2006 after we sold that company, and they they I was the president. They the private equity guys that bought it had hired a new CEO, so uh, I took my little bonus there and went on my merry way and decided I want to get back into the internet pure at Lily and Vernon. I'd helped grow their internet business. We took it from 15 million to 80 million, which is which was we thought a pretty successful endeavor. Um, but what it said to me, that experience said to me, was I really like the internet space pure. And why is that? This is where innovation is happening. Think about it. No, come on, don't give us that. You're a geek. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm part. Yes, I am. And by the way, I'll, I'm, I'm proud to admit that at my first job. The nickname that was given to me was the super high-tech weenie giznoid. Giz for short. But yes, I am a geek and I'm a proud member of the geek nation. But come on, man. This is where all the innovation is happening. You know, no, I'm with you. you're, either in, you're either in biotech, energy, or the Internet, right? And Internet, I'm, I'm now, you're sort of in digital media, right? We can write that a little bit larger. But this is where all the excitement. This is where the new things are going to pop up. And so this is where the action is. And I, I, I came to MediaWiz because what I saw was the opportunity to once again dive headlong into that innovation, into that, into that evolution, uh, and really create things and create new ways of doing things that were going to be revolutionary at the time or evolutionary at the time, but live for many, many, many years. And that's kind of where we sit even today. Uh, so where does where does MediaWiz uh, go with its innovation in the future? Are you guys going to IPO? Are you going to be acquired by someone? Like, what do you look like in five years? In five years, uh, hopefully, we're a billion dollar company, uh, and we are we our our mission, our vision at, at MediaWiz is to be considered the online marketing wizards. We want to be the experts, right? We want to be the folks that when people say, "Hey, I'm going to do performance marketing online." They think, wow, I, I got to call MediaWiz, and maybe I call someone else, but MediaWiz is going to be on the RFP. Our, our mission is to drive results, right? We want to drive great marketing results with proven, demonstrable ROI for our advertisers. And if we can do those two things, uh, we will we will become that billion-dollar company. And whether we're we then go public or we're part of another organization that recognizes they need these kinds of capabilities. That uh, is less consequential to us than building a great organization that really can drive better results from our marketing partners. Actually, you know, to that point, I've got this is a question I'm dying to ask you. If I if I can uh, flip it into the couple of minutes we have left, dive in. Um, how do you see you guys fitting in compared to the uh, advertising agencies like Ogilvy, Mather, and Gray, and all of these others? Is is media with the going to replace those kinds of companies? Like, where does where does what happens there? Where, right. where, where do those guys look versus you guys in ten years? So we're going to be partners. That's how it's going to shape up. And here's why: we like to think of ourselves as an organization's exclusive performance partner. And in do in providing that role, serving our customer in that way, which I'll describe in a sec, we can be 
aligned with their agency or we can work directly with, with the client, we're agnostic. We're not really great at developing one's brand, right? If, if, and I'll use Geico as an example. They're not yet a customer, but I got my eyes set on them. Um, you know, Geico has done a fabulous job building their brand. And the agency that created that and created all the advertising around it will have a, have a role for, for many, many years to come helping them build and maintain that brand. But when GEICO wants to sign up new insurance customers and they want to leverage the online channel, we can work in tandem with their existing agency and really help them find the pockets of forward-leaning, in-market for insurance customers that are making a buying decision and help them capture that information. So we build a marketing portfolio that, that helps them find the right customers. We help them tweak their creative. We can build it or we can work with their, their existing agency to build it. But we tweak the creative so that it's highly responsive because beautiful and funny may not get the response that they want. So we'll add the responsive component where we are experts. We'll then have the tools, the data infrastructure and the technology to help them capture, qualify, and convert this customer information into actual sales. And then here's the linchpin. We'll help them optimize the whole thing. I mean, we're good, good direct marketers. Almost everyone at MediaWiz uh, has come out of a direct marketing uh, role in the past. And what that, what that says is we're well-versed in applying the math and science to marketing and saying, hey, it's these parts of the media portfolio, it's these creatives, it's this portion of the sales process that are working really well, driving the return on investment you need to get from your marketing spend. And so we want you to spend, you know, twice what you're spending in these, all this other stuff, we're going to pull away, we're going to stop doing. And it's that, it's that strategy of continuous improvement as opposed to destination, and then the ability to make good on that strategy that MediaWiz brings to the party that, frankly, you know, the Ogilvy's of the world don't yet know how to do. So in fact, so you, you'll work alongside guys like Ogilvy and Gray and maybe get acquired by Martin Sorrell at uh, WPP? Potentially, absolutely. I mean, we were, we were in, I, I won't mention the name, but uh, I had a sales team last week, the week before last, in talking to you know, one of the brand names in online marketing, one of the big agencies, and there was lots that we, as we discussed, that we could do together. Because again... We, we provide a set of skills and capabilities that they just don't have in-house. Hmm. Cool. Um, in closing, Please anything you want to add that we haven't talked about? Uh, no. Thanks for the opportunity. I, I would encourage, if anyone listens through this whole thing, uh, I'd, I'd encourage them to do two things. One, if you haven't already, really try and get to understand the performance marketing Base. The advantage of it is that uh, I've, I've penned an article that I'll, I'll uh, publish in a couple of weeks called The Death of the Marketing Budget. In a world where you've got predictable and demonstrable return on your marketing investment, there should be no marketing budget. You should spend as much as you can as long as you're getting a positive ROI. So if anyone out there is listening, I'd like you to start thinking in those terms because it's going to be important for your future success in marketing, period. 
And as you're thinking about that, obviously I'd like you to think about MediaWiz as your potential partner there because we think we do a pretty good job of it. Cool. Okay, well, thanks very much for your time. All right, Adrian, thanks for the opportunity. And when you get to New York, uh, I'll treat you to a meal on the Upper West Side. I'll show you what it's all about. <laughs> Sounds good. 